What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Chase Down Podcast presents A City of Champions, a seven-part series chronicling the Cavs' 2016 NBA championship. With help from fans who cheered against us, reporters who covered it, and the players who watched it, we'll take you game by game through the most improbable 3-1 comeback in championship history. Be sure to subscribe to the Chase Down Podcast to relive the greatest series we've seen in our lifetimes. One dribble steps back, puts up a three, won't go, rebound tip taken by Spades, final seconds, it's over, it's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. The series begins Thursday, April 9th. Hey, hi, hello, what's cracking, what's popping, all that Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Valley coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We're rolling on with our decade player ranking series. Adam Fromell from NBA Math and Bleacher Report is joining me once again. We will be going through the top 10 Cleveland Cavaliers of this past decade in just a moment. But first, our usual housekeeping notes. Please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. You can also find us wherever else you are getting your podcasts, whether that's Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all those places. We are there. You can listen to us anywhere and everywhere iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there, that you're listening, and to help the pod in general. Please, five-star ratings, write a review, especially if you have constructive criticism, um, and definitely make sure that you're down- downloading all of our episodes. If you have done all that, please, recommendations. Those are equally appreciated as well. We are also on YouTube. All these podcasts are going on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardwood Knox, you will find us, like our videos, subscribe. That is also, also, also appreciated. You can follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox, the the Blue Wire podcast network, where you can check out all the great sports content that we're pumping out. I really give a tremendous kudos to all of our podcasts for continuing to provide content during the uh, coronavirus pandemic. They've they've really done a great job. Follow us at Blue Wire Pods. Last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor this week. And as always, betonline.ag. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your welcome bonus. When you make your first deposit, you'll be hearing from them once again in just a moment. Now, let's get to talking about the best Cleveland Cavaliers players of the past decade with Adam Frommel. Adam, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know if you can uh, see past my microphone here, but I'm I'm wearing my LeBron James Cavaliers shirt in honor of this episode. I cannot see past your mic. What does this LeBron James Cavaliers shirt say oh it's, it's him next to jordan i like it's it. him next to jordan yeah i, I forget where where i got it from but it's so you're wearing, a, with, like, you're no wearing faces, a shirt yeah. that has a picture of the goat and michael jordan on it that's correct okay just making sure <laughs> starting this one off strong so we're doing the cavaliers decade player rankings top 10 between adam myself and then the fan voting we will have our composite ranking go through that 10 to 1 as a brief reminder. I hope you check out all the previous pods we've already done. I'm not going to list them all. There are, however, landing pages up at NBA Math 
subscribe to us on iTunes, and also go to YouTube, search Hardwood Knox. We have a playlist with all of these podcasts on there. But we are on to the Cavaliers, and let's start, Adam. Who did who did the composite ranking give us at number ten? The composite ranking at number ten, we had Dion Waiters, who was unanimously in tenth place for our three. Uh, our three contributors, uh, you and I both had him at 10. The fans narrowly had him at 10 over a, a number of, of notable honorable honorable mentions, including Iman Shumpert, Richard Jefferson, Anton Jameson, and interestingly, Andre Drummond. They were all pretty close to each other, but but Waiters did hold down that 10th spot. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be an argument for me. I try. I will say that I did everything possible in my mind to keep Dion Waiters off the list. because I, just I did didn't... too. I just couldn't do it though. Like he he at least did score a lot early in his career, and we're not exactly like working from a wealth of options. I mean, again, like Andre Drummond was almost in tenth place on the fans' vote, and he's played what like three games there. Yeah, and I that's why he ultimately belongs there. He spends basically what two and two seasons and change with them, I believe. And so there's relative to some of the other options, or even some of the people that make this list, he has the thereness factor over them. And, and like you said, he, he could score. It was never too efficiently. He hit 45.1% of his twos with the Cavs, which I, I'll say there's worse true shooting under 50 though. That's, that's not great. He'll be remembered for not really being able to work with Kyrie, not really being able to work with, with LeBron, but I don't know that you can justify if you wanted to go with a Richard Jefferson argument because of what he did emotionally for the team during his two seasons there. I think we can absolutely listen to it, but, but when you're, Factoring in on the court stuff, it's really hard to. I'm not trying to. Maybe this is a Dion Waiters bias, but one, he's been awesome posting videos during the during the league stoppage. So shout out to Dion Waiters for posting videos of him on roller skates around going around his apartment. But anyway, he looks good on them too. Yeah, he looks pretty fluid on them. Uh, so yeah. going backwards and stuff too. So just absolutely. That out I, th- I think this is a tough one just because the the last decade for the Cavaliers was essentially the four straight finals runs. So we're going to have the key contributors from that. But then the rest of it, like there hasn't been a losing record. Uh, there hasn't been a winning record in any of the other six seasons. I mean, we have 19 win seasons. We have 21 win seasons. Um, so I, I, I think we're, we're largely struggling to find those, those obvious positives for players in this section of the ranking. So for me, it actually kind of mattered that, Waiters, they, they managed to turn him in a three in a three team trade with the Thunder and the Knicks into Amon Shumpert and J.R. Smith. And, you know, Smith played a pretty crucial part on, on some of those finals teams. So, you know, as we're digging for these positives, like that did play into my my reasoning for having him at 10th and and not going with someone like Richard Jefferson. I'm totally with it, which is ultimately also why I did not have Richard Jefferson at, at number 10. Hopefully that doesn't spoil anything. Who, who rolled in at number nine? Rolling in at number nine, we have Colin Sexton. Uh, both you and I had him at ninth. The fans actually had him one spot higher at number eight. I mean, he hasn't played much. We're midway through his second NBA season, but the leap that he's already taken in this second year, he just he looks so much better and more confident offensively than he did as a rookie. Uh, 20.8 points, 3.1 rebounds, 3.0 assists per game. He's shooting efficiently from three-point range for the second straight season, which wasn't thought to be a huge strength for him when he was coming out of Alabama. So the development we've already seen, his ability to take on such a large offensive role, uh, it was hard to leave him off despite the fact that he's only played 147 games for this franchise. I actually want to give props to the fans for putting him one spot higher than us because I wasn't I wasn't brave enough to do it. You, had, I was in the same boat. I just I didn't quite I, I couldn't quite pull the trigger on that one. 
and his shooting kind of has waxed and waned, but there was a point at the the beginning of this year, he starts off hot, then goes a little bit cold, but then he catches fire again. And, you know, the the fire level of his shooting is closer to his normal than not. He's shooting almost 45% from three since January 1st of, of this season. He's also become a little bit better of a passer. And I think for what he does or what his role should be, that combo guard, that that secondary guard, uh, his passing has now reached a level where it's where it's adequate. And so if you're looking at him as a floor general, yes, there are these potential problems. But if you're looking at him as that off guard, as someone who's going to predominantly come off maybe the bench and be a star sixth man, uh, I think he's fine there for what he uh, for what he's already doing. And I also think, look, there are a lot of defensive miscues for all the Cavaliers as young guards, but he can really put some pressure on the ball when he's defending the ball, watching him during those sort of high intensity spurts. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm impressed there, but I do think that as the Cavs are worried about forming a league average defensive backcourt when you're dealing with either Darius Garland there, or maybe it's a Kevin Porter Jr., or if you're trying to put all three of them on the court at the same time, I do think that Sexton can be a lot better of an on-ball defender than people have realized or given him credit for thus far. And that too did factor into me wanting to put him higher, but it also just factored into me in general, making sure that, that he was on this list. The sample size doesn't really matter to me as much because I think he's established himself at the very at bottom as this legitimate, high-scoring, uh, efficient shooting guard. And at the same time, like I, I, there's been so much turnover within the Cleveland organization over the last 10 years that we're talking about a, a guy who turned 21 100 days before we recorded this podcast. He's only in his second season, which has been interrupted by this pandemic that has the NBA on hiatus. He's still 10th in minutes played over the last decade for the Cavaliers. So it's not like he's struggling in the thereness category that has proved so important in these rankings. I, that, that, that definitely surprised me just because, you know, we view him as this up and comer who's so new to the scene. But again, there's just been that much turnover. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, too. Who do we have at number eight? At number eight, we have Channing Fry. Um, he was number eight for both of us. He was number nine for the fans. So just uh, reversed there from from Colin Sexton's placement. You know, Fry was definitely towards the end of his career during the the two plus seasons. Or I guess really one plus because he was only there for one full season and two partial seasons. Um, but he did play on on those finals bound teams. He was clearly an important offensive contributor because of his uh, stretchiness, playing largely center for those teams. Um, a guy, another guy who was who was more there than anything else, but but at least he wasn't a, an active detriment to the team. And it's not unfair to say that he saved the 2016 Cavs just from the stories that we hear about behind the scenes, how he really sort of hammered through the the walls that were up, and it sort of seemed like there was this level of separation between everyone in the locker room, and it seems like he really w- was able to break that down. And I do think that's huge because look at. Yes, we have to weigh what happened on the court. And hey, you know, he shot over 40% from three during that first half season in Cleveland. And he, sh- he did shoot in the minutes that he played during the playoffs under 15 per game, but he shot 56.5% from three on 2.7 attempts per game. So just that consistency from beyond the arc on the front line, then combining with what he did behind the scenes and, and kind of uh, getting rid of, jettisoning the, the clicks that uh, were formed in Cleveland's locker room. I think it's absolutely huge if only because we know what that team went on to do. It wasn't just win the title, but it was a race that 3 to 1 deficit against the best regular season team at the time by win total in NBA history. So, that's absolutely huge and I get if you're weighing on court 
contributions more than anything. I totally get putting him lower than this, like like the fans did. And I, I, I think there's that clear argument for Colin Sexton above him. But I had zero qualms about putting him at, at number eight. And if I wasn't so much of a coward, I might have considered bumping him up even further. He actually did have one really memorable game, too. Um, it was game three of the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2016 against the Atlanta Hawks. The Cavs did go on to sweep that series, but they won 121-108 to 108 on the road. And Fry was actually the leading scorer, um, not just for the Cavs, but for the entire game. He had 27 points and seven rebounds off the bench, shot 10 of 13, made seven of his nine threes. And it, it was just like this relentless barrage. In the second half alone, he went four of five from downtown. Um, and ultimately, like they were going to win that series, even if he didn't show up and and they lost that game for some reason. But at least he does have that one like that that one highlight moment. Um, he he scored 21. He never scored more than 21 points during the regular season with the Cavs, but 27 in a playoff game on the road like that. Shouts to him for that. I will issue a make hope on myself. He shot 37.7 percent during his first half season with the Cavs and he was 40.9 percent from three. Uh, during his lone full season in Cleveland. I did look at when he played the before he was traded in 2016, 2017. He wasn't really uh, 2017, 2018, excuse me. He wasn't really shooting that well from three, but I ultimately just didn't care about, about that. Again, the things he did behind the scenes um, and then that anecdotal element that you just dropped, those are just absolutely huge. Attention Hardwood Knox listeners. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can also bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the nation's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So yeah, so let's go from one role player to another, uh, because at, at number seven, we have Matthew Dellavedova, who was seven for both uh, me and the fans and was up at sixth for you. Um, I, I will be the first to admit that I am I'm biased against Delhi here as an Atlanta Hawks fan. I, I remember too many of the dirty moments in the playoffs and just generally didn't like how he played because I felt like, you know, there's always a line between or th- there's a line in the in the realm of playing hard. And I think sometimes players can cross that and and move into that dirty spectrum. And he was there for me. So I, I had to give him the respect that his steadiness and pesky defense Uh, demanded but it it was hard for me to do so that's fair the reason I put him so high is I almost respect how he became this defensive myth because of what he did against Steph and Curry at certain points didn't matter if Steph was injured or that the the defensive performances were wildly overrated I do think there's one value in having someone that you can throw on Steph and Curry and say that you're not going to send a ton of of double teams at him but you look at Delavadova's defensive hustle and that's what really sells it for me and for a good part of his time in Cleveland uh his first stint anyway he's a consistent presence standstill shooter from beyond the arc and so no you don't want to trust him to really be uh, a primary playmaker even really a secondary playmaker but that you can have him work off the ball on offense and you know that he's really going to run his ass off on the defensive end no matter who he's really facing and again I do think his his legend 
eventually outstripped his his actual performance. But to just have someone that you trust enough to throw at those guys, especially when we've talked about how hard it is to defend point guards in general, how pointless point guard defense can be at certain points. Yes, you know, some of his tactics, definitely questionable. But that's, I, I, I don't want to say I admire that, but that's part of playoff basketball too. And he seemed to embody this bridge between an old school, new school approach during those uh, postseasons, uh, you know, specifically the first two when, when LeBron comes back. And so that's something that I, I just really respect. And it also, it also makes you feel like his thereness factor is, is higher than, than it really is because yes, he's, you know, he was traded back to the Cavs um, from Milwaukee uh, midway through last year. And, and he's was on course to finish the season there this year, but you really only remember that first go round, which really only included two seasons of, of absolute relevance. And the fact what he did defensively, what his assignments were in the playoffs, his roles in the playoffs, it elevates his, his thereness factor from actuality. And I, I kind of respect that, that this is the player that has that type of anecdotal reputation. I, I think we, we often forget that he was a legitimately good shooter too. Um, over 40% during two of those first three seasons in Cleveland. But for, for whatever reason, he's completely forgotten how to shoot lately. Only 23.1% since returning to the Cavs for the 2019-20 season. And he hasn't been a really effective shooter during any of his Milwaukee seasons either. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that prime year, If can we say prime for Matthew Dellavedova? Is that a thing? Um yeah, 2015-16, you know, averaging 4.4 assists, only 1.5 turnovers, being a reliable um, floor spacing three-point shooter, being such a defensive pest, getting under the skin of opponents, as as I've proved here. Um, you know, those are all valuable. So I, I get the placement for sure. I love that in the two seasons he played with the LeBron Cavs, he shot a higher percentage from three than he did from two. Definitely a function yeah, of I mean, his shot Major selection, respect for those guys. But I, I have, like you said, I have major respect for those guys. Yep. So who checked it in the composite ranking at number six? At number six, we have Anderson Verjao, uh, who both the fans and myself had at number six, but you had down at number seven. I know that you have a, a, a hot take here that you want to share. I think that maybe there's, there's some recency bias here, given the direction that the game has gone, and perhaps this is throwing cold water all over what you thought was a scorching hot take. I feel like he might be one of the most overrated players in, in NBA history. I know he has the all defensive team 2010 to his name. That was actually not a part of this since it fell in 2009, uh, 2010. I just, an incredible hustle player that I just feel like never really added a huge amount to even a, a semi-significant amount of value. Like, yes, he could, he could really hit the glass. And if you're going to give him, uh, you know, open looks, uh, on the offensive end inside the arc, like he, yeah, he's going to hit them. But what what else did he have to his game? Like he would have to take so many of his shots really inside of uh, eight feet restricted area, basically. Not someone who was ever really able to create his own shot. Maybe he was a. There was a point in his career where he was just a really good passer statistically, and so we always had that. I guess IQ part of his game, but it just feels like he is. I don't even know what it is. Is it because he spent so much time in Cleveland? Play I, I don't know what about him fans actually love aside from the hustle. And to me, that just the hairstyle too. The, uh, he did have he had great hair. I will say that. And then look, you know, 2012, 2013 averages over 14 points a game uh for in, in only 25 appearances. The injuries also are something that I struggled with. You have that like 
there was was it like a three season block where he failed to appear in even 35 games a year and you know that's not I don't know that that contributes to him being overrated but I'm really just the way he played I just never really saw him add significant value to to really good teams and maybe that's underrating what he did during the the early LeBron years. I'm, I'm fully aware. I, I think that's why why I struggled so much with him because he was the toughest for me to place for sure. And it was because of the injuries. It was because his best seasons came for really bad Cavs teams. And he never contributed in the playoffs for the, for the Cavaliers. Um, you know, his, his his last playoff appearance with Cleveland was in the 20, it was in the 2009, 2010 season, which is not part of our purview here. Um, so that definitely matters. But I think at least anecdotally, he's, He's part of one of my favorite favorite stories from this Cavs era, um, and and maybe I'm misremembering here, but so correct me if I'm wrong. But during the uh, the 2015-16 season, the Cavs traded him to the Portland Trailblazers, who immediately waived him, and he ended up signing with the Golden State Warriors, which meant that he'd spent enough time in Cleveland, but was on the Golden State roster. So no matter who won the 2016 Finals, he was going to get a ring, and I, I think that I just. For whatever reason, I remember that because it was such a unique situation. So kudos to him for that, I guess. Did he actually get a ring? Wasn't there something going around that he didn't get a ring? I don't I don't think that was the case. I feel like he got one. Uh, he got a Warriors title ring in 2017. I don't think it's going to show up on like his official page or anything, but I feel like he still got the hardware just because he spent so much time with them during the regular season. But again, like I might be totally misremembering this. He apparently won't accept NBA championship. This is a headline like, if the Cavs offer it. I don't know if this is now just outdated, but the Warriors offered him a 2017 championship ring. Mm. Yes, okay. It, it, I, I am correct that he was guaranteed it. Um, he was the first player per Elias Sports Bureau to play for both finals teams in the same season. Um, so he was going to get one if he'd accepted it. That is correct. Okay. That, that's a great anecdote, I but like, couldn't you argue for this specific podcast when we're talking about ranking Cavaliers that him uh, being traded away from the Cavs and then immediately going to sign with the Warriors once he had the chance is kind of just like, you know, or, or, or is he, does he, is it not any, is it not immoral in any way because the Cavaliers were the team that traded him and that sort of gave him carte blanche to go wherever he wanted to go? I think that, but then also just the fact that you're bringing this up after after defending Della Vadova makes me even more confident in this opinion. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, who do we have at number five? Yeah, so at, at number five, I think, is where we start like the much more obvious um, section of these rankings. Um, it's J.R. Smith. He was fifth place for, for me, for you, for the fans. He got almost half of the the fifth place votes, uh, like being exactly fifth place on these top 10 ballots. No one else appeared on more than three ballots in the fifth place spot. So like he was the very obvious choice here. And I think for good reason, like he's clearly a cut below the top four guys that we'll get to. But at the same time, like he's the first guy where it's like, yeah, like he very obviously added value in Cleveland for a while. Yeah. Especially when he was traded, uh, came over in that trade from the Knicks. He shot 40% from three at 6.6 attempts. Uh, during his time, oh wait, during his time with the Cavs for that season, so that that's absolutely huge. He wasn't, you know, he had some like pretty big defensive moments for them in the playoffs too, uh, and even throughout that playoff run, the, the 2016 playoff run, he shot 43 percent from three. And LeBron had to shout him out 
at the championship parade because the they they basically got JR <clears throat> they basically got JR Smith for nothing. And so he was trolling the Knicks for not viewing JR Smith as even close to an asset. And everyone's going to remember him for maybe his exit from the Cavs where he wasn't really around the team uh, or they're going to remember in the 2018 finals we we got one of the greatest NBA memes of of all time because JR or throwing Smith, soup at Damon Jones. Throwing soup at Damon. Look, as far as I'm concerned the soup incident has to Boost him up a peg or two. Undoubtedly a positive. Who throws soup? <laughs> Undoubt. I mean, that was one of the most fun days of Twitter that I can remember. Just like the speculation of why, of who he threw it at, of whether it scalded them. What kind of soup was it? Like, what what kind of soup would J.R. Smith enjoy during a practice? Yeah, there were like sources behind this too. It was like sources confirmed that J.R. Smith threw soup. <laughs> That's just absolutely fantastic. But look, in, if you look at his Cavaliers tenure in the aggregate, he, for the most part, provided dependable three-point shooting with someone who could at least move defensively for a lot of his time there. And to have that spacing around LeBron is, I think, paramount and a big part of why they were so successful just running through Eastern Conference opponents during most of LeBron's tenure. And look, if you want to ding him for what happened in 2018, that's fine. I still think that if the Cavs win game one, first of all, we don't know if they would have still won game one had that gap never happened. Um, There's also the George Hill missed missed free throws that we have to talk about there. Even if they do, though, they're not winning that series. And so I just don't know how much you'd ding him for that. I know that LeBron was superhuman during that game because when is really LeBron not superhuman in the playoffs? One of his best games. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get that point of it, but how do you put him outside of, of the top five? Who are you bumping up? Right. Into exactly. this? I do think you're selling his defense a little short too. I think he was more than just palatable um, during his first couple of seasons in Cleveland. Like when he was fully engaged and, and accepting of that role where he wasn't going to have as many offensive touches, like he seemed to be a, a legitimate positive on the perimeter uh switchable he was able to stay between his man and the basket at all times like he was he was he wasn't a great defender maybe not even like a really good defender but i think he was like significantly above average i get i don't remember him fondly during his final two like postseason runs with the Cavs. but look in 2015 in 20 in the 2016 postseason he played and defended a a lot of three and that's Mm -hmm. not something that i feel like he really did in the other two postseasons 2017 2018 and so a 2016 i'm fully on board with you uh, maybe i'd have to go back and watch more of the 2017 2018 playoffs but that's probably a, a good talking point for his career in general where i don't think he was ever people just assumed he was a bad defender because he was jr smith but he was he was rarely ever the, the worst defender on the court and there was probably something about playing with lebron that maybe kept his consistency in line a little bit perhaps, but that's something that I think you can go back and look at throughout his career that he was probably unfairly impugned on the, on the defensive end uh, more so than he should have been never a great defender, but I don't think he was ever these, you know, people treated him like he was Trey young basically at points in his career. Right. Number four. Yeah. yeah speaking of, of, of guys who are not quite sure how to value their defense, we have Tristan Thompson, um, who was fourth for me. He was fourth for the fans. He was up at third for you. I'm going to guess that Vernus played a part in that just because he's spent his entire career, uh, which started in this decade with the Cavaliers. He's played over 4,000 more minutes than anybody else in a Cavaliers jersey over the last decade. He's played more than 220 games or more than 230 games more than anybody else 
in Cleveland over this last decade. Like that definitely matters. And he's been he's been very effective, especially on the offensive glass throughout that time. It's everything you just said, and it's me waiting the thereness. But there's also, you know, looking at this season in particular, they're just seeing like maybe like adding little layers to his game where it's like, oh, does does Tristan Thompson kind of have a floater now? And oh, Tristan Thompson is still playing like he gives a damn on defense. And oh, look at how Tristan Thompson is playing when these the Cavaliers post Drummond trade are running out these three big lineups. And so there's I, I I respect that he has had some good moments in the post LeBron era as well. And that I think drums him up just as much as the defense we saw from him during the peak of of the Cavaliers in the postseason. And he's always been just as a big, more switchable than uh, I guess people do give him credit for it, but I, I don't think that it's just he's associated with it as much. And he is just one of the more mobile fives <clears throat> that you could trust. And he's not especially big for his position. So the fact that you could put him on a lot of these other centers and trust him on the offensive glass is actually kind of a kind of a big deal. And so I was a little bit surprised that Kevin Love, I know he's the better player, but I really thought that Tristan Thompson's sort of thereness, coupled with everything he actually did on the court, would have gotten him in the top three. So we've been kind of focusing on some anecdotes with this uh, this Cavaliers edition, and, and here's an, another fun one. I, I think that w- when you look at a basketball reference player page, you see the player, the player's nicknames, the player's position, which hand they shoot with. And that's one of the most fun entries on the entire site is that they actually have shoots left-handed, crossed out, and then right-handed because midway through his career, he decided to switch and it actually, it actually like worked. Like, as you said, like he's developed a little bit of a floater game. He's been even more efficient around the rim. Um, I, I believe he's improved as, or at least stagnated as a free throw shooter despite switching hands. And, and that's just like a really cool thing that you don't see a lot. Um, but I, I also wanted to ask you if, if we go back to the, the Charlotte Hornets podcast, I asked you if you thought Marvin Williams had justified being the number two pick because of what he did post Hawks career. So Tristan Thompson was the number four pick in the 2011 NBA draft. He's never averaged more than 12 points per game. He's never really been a star, but has he justified that draft position just based on the consistency and length of his tenure in Cleveland? I, I honestly don't know. If you look at a, Maybe it's tough because we know some of the players that were taken after him in that draft. Kemba, Kwai, Clay Thompson was in that draft. I don't he's not I don't think you call him a draft bust. That's where I landed with Marvin Williams. I think you'd still rather have uh, many of the other players that came after him. Would you rather have had yeah, or maybe not, because I, I mean you get to a point where it's would you rather have had Marcus Morris or Tristan Thompson for their career? And I think Tristan Thompson is is the answer. You know, would you rather have had Tobias Harris or Tristan Thompson? I think there's a debate there. And so he's definitely not a draft bust. bust. I just, it's tough when you know, in hindsight, it's just tough when you know how many of the players came after him. You're like, well, he probably should have gone maybe 10th or a little bit lower in that draft. Just looking at some of the names. Yeah. I think regardless of where he should have gone, I, I do think he's done enough to justify it. You know, spending nine seasons and counting with the same organization and being pretty solid throughout it. Like, in some ways, it's disappointing that he hasn't really grown more than he has um, since he entered the NBA. But at the same time, like he he entered with a very very established skill set, you know that that presence on the offensive glass that just demanded extra bodies. So even if he hasn't developed into a floor spacing power forward or center, even if he's never really shown 
much ability as a facilitator. You know, he's he's above two assists each of the last two seasons, but those have come with an increase in turnovers, and it's not like you're really going to count on him as a as a primary, secondary, or even tertiary distributor. But at the same time, like just the the switchability on defense, the offensive rebounding, the ability to stay healthy and and play season and play game after game until these last couple of years. Like all of that, I think if you told me that's what I was getting with the number four pick, uh, it, you're you're limiting your ceiling. But I, I think I'm okay with that floor. No, for sure. There, I think I would still with the player I'm going to pit against him right now. I think I'd still go with the other player. But there might be a debate: Would you rather have Tristan Thompson's career or Nikola Vucevic's career? Where Vuce is clearly the better individual player, but look at the level of winning that Thompson has contributed to when the Cavaliers were actually really good. Right. And that's the other thing, you know, just being a, being a, an integral part of a team that went to four straight finals and won a title, you know, that's, that's a big deal too, especially when, you know, those were probably the seasons where if he was going to take some sort of offensive leap, it was going to be then, but those are the four seasons where he averaged single digit points sandwiched around these double digit seasons, which is a pretty clear indication to me that he was not only able to take a back seat, um, but he was he was able to do so willingly, without complaining, and without it letting affect the rest of his game. And that's that's important too. Who do we have at number three? No surprises here, obviously. Yeah, no surprises. It's 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 Kevin Love. Uh, he was third for both me and the fans. He was down at four behind Tristan Thompson for you. Um, he hasn't spent as much time there. He was the clear third wheel on those uh, on those finals bound teams. But at the same time, like it's Kevin Love. He's an incredible player, unquestionably an all star caliber player. He has one of the most memorable moments in Cavaliers history, not just this decade, when he totally locked down Steph Curry at the end of at the end of a finals series to to seal the championship. Um, and I think that was a a good indication of how. He was such a defensive minus during his time in Minnesota that I think we, we forgot that this guy actually does have quick feet. He actually can defend on the perimeter, and and Cleveland often let him do so. They were more willing to let him switch onto guards than we'd seen in his in his previous stop. Um, but I, I don't think there's any argument for him being in the top two. But I totally get why he's third. Yeah, the the defense. Defensive stuff is tough. You have to really slog down the pace for him to be viewed as any sort of switchable. And so... Right, and I'm not saying he should consistently do that. Just that they were okay with him doing it sometimes. Right. Uh, look, look, he's been... First of all, it sort of catches you off guard that he's been in Cleveland for six years now, doesn't it? A little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And so, that he's fourth in, fourth in minutes played and uh, and third in games played during this decade. And look, he's been good. For the time that he's been with the Cavs, averaging 17 points, 10 rebounds, 2.3 assists, shooting 37.5% uh, from three, we've he's seen his two-point percentage drop, but he's just he hasn't been as much as a post-fixture. At least he definitely wasn't during many of those LeBron James years. Solid. I don't have an argument against him being at number three. I just Tristan Thompson's there, and this inevitably means more to me. But like I said, he had one of the biggest defensive sets um, – in NBA history, really, defensive stops, and certainly the biggest defensive stop of of his career. Does it? Are you soured on where he would be in these rankings at all by the the circumstances under which it seems like he might eventually leave Cleveland, where it seems like he's just been so wildly, openly unhappy there, even though he's sort of come out and said something different. Uh, you know, where it's like you know uh, owning up to that behavior at points, or does that not really matter to you at all? 
It did matter. Um, I I wanted to make an argument if I can if I can reveal that number two is is obviously Kyrie Irving, who was unanimously number two among the three contributions. Um, I I did consider pushing Love above Kyrie just because. Kyrie's departure from Cleveland was so ugly. And then I was like, hey, wait, like this season, especially we've seen just how how much of a malcontent love has been, how it's obviously affected his play. And and to some extent, at least because this team was never going anywhere, the team's play um, and, and that his eventual exit probably is going to be similarly ugly. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. So I couldn't bump him up because they they both kind of fit into that that world. Yeah, that's also fair. I think you also have to credit, even though it was rocky at first, and there were all those rumors when he was entering free agency in the summer of 2015, the fact that he was like Chris Bosh, you know, he's able to go from being just the focal point of an entire offense to now he's all of a sudden the third wheel and more of a complimentary piece. And again, it wasn't always smooth, and perhaps it doesn't end as smoothly his time with LeBron as it did if they don't win that title. But look at what happened with Kyrie where I know he was a little bit younger, but he didn't want to be even the number two on this team. Yep. I mean, so you have to credit Kevin Love, even given the onset problems for making that transition from this really megastar fixture in, in Minnesota. 2013-2014, Kevin Love was just an absolute monster. Um, to and, you know, He was a monster for basically the three seasons, three previous seasons as well. But you have to credit him for making the adjustments that he he inevitably needed to when you're looking at his volume, his role, the, the type of shots that he's getting, and then the staying power that he's still allowed to have, even in sort of that reduced capacity. And so it, right. there's not even a question to me that he belongs in the top four. It's just, like I said before, I wait Tristan Thompson's there, there-ness a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I briefly toyed with moving Love up to, to second place over Kyrie Irving, which two people um, actually did on their ballots. And, I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, like with, with Irving, he's still second in games played. He's still second in minutes played over the last decade. And even if the exit was ugly, he didn't bring back much of a package. Again, it was it was centered on Isaiah Thomas, which just didn't work out because of of the uh, the hip injury. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still like Irving was still an incredible offensive force throughout his time in Cleveland. He has. Uh, inarguably, not even arguably, the the biggest shot in franchise history with his game seven dagger over Steph Curry um, to to win that that 2016 Finals. Um, just he has the anecdotes, he has the stats, he has the longevity, he has the the force of personality for better or for worse. Um, and I don't think we're going to forget Kyrie's tenure in Cleveland anytime soon. <laughs> Look, he hit one of the five biggest shots in NBA history. I don't. I, that alone just might be enough to put him wherever you want on this list below LeBron James, even if he wasn't the consensus number two. Whoa, spoilers there. I thought I was supposed to reveal the rankings. Sorry, I apologize. Everyone who thought that maybe Alonzo G was going to finally get his due, we apologize. I have no, I don't really have anything to just add there. I. It was interesting that he never really, and part of this I think has to do with uh, Cleveland's turnover during his time there, but he never really be- became the player that he is now uh, more independent where we saw in Boston that he can be the, as my, as my phone goes off on my computer, I'm still working out the settings on my new laptop and I forgot to change that iMessage. So if anyone wants a humble you know, brag there, it's not a humble brag. I was mourning the loss of my old one actually, 
there's nothing like spending uh, unplanned money on a new laptop during a global pandemic. There's nothing like that feeling. Anyway, um, he gets to Boston. I think that first season there was really the first time ever he was a consensus top 10 player. But it also showed, and even this season in Brooklyn before he got injured, and even in his second season in Boston, regardless of how choppy that one was, that he could be the the anchor of just this good offense and a net plus overall for his team in a huge way by himself. And he never really got to that point in Cleveland. It was probably too early. They didn't have the talent around him before LeBron got there. But I did always sort of, what gave me pause is how bad the Cavs routinely were when he would play without LeBron during those LeBron years. It felt like a, a player of his caliber should have been able to navigate those minutes better. That did not, again, he was the clear number two for me, but that's always something I, I, I kind of sort of lamented. And maybe it was a supporting cast issue with who he's playing those those minutes with, but I do wonder if maybe the tenure there is at all a little bit different if those minutes are better or if it was more clear that LeBron viewed him as the person to which he was going to to pass the torch or maybe Kyrie just saw the writing on the wall as much as he just liked playing with LeBron. Maybe he also just knew that LeBron was going to leave and absolutely gut the franchise in the process. And he didn't want to be a part of that starting over journey. I think it could be a combination of, of all of the above, honestly. Um, but my, my, my Kyrie take here and, and tell me if it's tepid, if it's hot, if it's just warm is that he's been such a, an interesting figure for five years now um, let's say between the, uh, the, the, the personality, the, the flatter thing, the conspiracy theories, the asking out and the, the weird Boston tenure that in some ways, like he's kind of become uninteresting to me. I don't find him uninteresting. I do feel like maybe we've crossed the point where is he being unfairly covered where it does seem like we get these, this has nothing to do with his Cavs tenure, I guess, but we get these super personal anecdotes and in the age of what's the coverage to, of him has been strange for sure it, yeah in the age of what is supposed to be high-end mental health awareness it's weird that we're so quick to write him off as an asshole even though look jokes are gonna be made i've made the jokes but there seem to be that you know people who cover him from afar this isn't i'm not talking about the reporters who are around him every day but there are people who are just watching him or cover him from afar who just assume that he's kind of a jackass and a team cancer and i feel like that's unfair and that's why i sort of find him interesting it's how quick we're willing to just ignore um, maybe what could actually, when he comes out and says that he was dealing with the death of his grandfather, how quick right. we are to not accept that at face value. I'm not trying to defend what he did. He's certainly a polarizing figure. And, and that's why I actually find him more interesting hmm. since he left the Cavs than, than during his Cleveland days. And he's also been the source of some unsubstantiated rumors that are definitely unfair to him. So I, I think that, yeah, I, I guess like, I don't know. I, t- I tend to gravitate away from the Kyrie Irving stories these days, just because I don't I don't particularly like how the coverage has been centered around him. Sometimes I think that's absolutely spot on and fair. Who's our number one? Who's our mysterious number one? Yeah, he uh, he only spent four seasons in a in a, a Cleveland uniform on on his second tenure, and it's LeBron James. You know, he was good at basketball, and I, I'm not sure how much I have to add beyond that because it's like, come on, like obviously he's number one. Yeah, let's move on to the honorable mentions. As far as I'm concerned, what would- honestly, I wouldn't mind doing that because I don't think talking about LeBron James's uh, tenure in Cleveland is particularly interesting here. Justin, I will say the two things I'll note, or one is a question, but the two things I'll note: just an absolute beast in the playoffs. Like that's where I feel like the LeBron switch was sort of born where, yeah, maybe he had a little bit in Miami, but I also think he was 
probably his best defensive self regular season wise when he was in Miami. And so he gets to Cleveland where there's just this switch where you could tell that he's really conserving himself during the regular season. Then he just goes off in the playoffs. I mean, not the most efficient finals in 2015, but not having Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving. There are moments like that that I respect just as much as, as I respect the block, um, the title itself. My second point would be, what is the case for not having him number one on your ballot? It would strictly be player X if it's Kyrie played more seasons there, and I just don't think that that's a legitimate take. Yeah, this sounds like a, a good spot for some awkward silence in response to that question. I have, I have no answers for that. Now, to follow up your first point, though, uh, the rolling player ratings that we have on NBA Math, he's got one of my absolute favorite career trajectories on that because it's always so high in the regular season, but without fail, his his line moves up as soon as the playoffs start each and every year. And that's just, that's not something we see. Like even from the biggest superstars throughout NBA history, they'll have a couple of playoff runs where they really elevate their game, but not every single year without fail. But you know, his finals record, so... Can we move on to the honorable mentions, please? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, at 11th in the fan vote, we had Iman Shumpert, who was very, very close behind Dion Waiters. Um, At 12th place, we had Richard Jefferson, also very close. 13th, Anton Jameson. 14th, inexplicably, Andre Drummond, who has, again, played like all of three games in a Cleveland uniform. Uh, 15th, we had Kyle Korver. 16th, we had Larry Nance Jr., who I was I was surprised that he wasn't higher up. He was really close to getting the 10th spot over Deion Waiters for me. And I, I think he's he's just filled such a valuable role, um, not necessarily for good teams, but, but throughout his time in Cleveland, just the efficiency and the two-way contributions. Yeah, I'm certainly with you there. I would expect him to be a little bit higher. I wonder, and he was he's one of those players where you can envision if the Cavs kind of put him in a little bit better of a position that you could see him being like even better than than he actually right. is. So yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't toy enough with putting him uh, above Dion Waiters. I would think that there's a case though to get him into the top ten. So it's weird that he finished. What was this? Sixteenth. Sixteenth. Yeah. Seventeenth, uh, we had Mo Williams. Eighteenth, Jordan Clarkson. Nineteenth, Timofey Mozgov. Twentieth, we had a tie between James Jones, Baron Davis, and Daniel Gibson. And then the really fun one is uh, is twenty third. Whoever gave Zadrunas Olgauskas a fifth place vote, like. We're talking about this decade only. He Elgaus was retired in 2011 after playing with the Miami Heat, so he he played zero games for Cleveland. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the case is to have him here. In fairness, you do you. In fairness, whoever voted for him, I did use talked about Gerald Wallace making the 2010 All Defensive Team as part of putting him on the Hornets All Decade Team. Now, I think I put him tenth or ninth <laughs> as opposed to fifth, and he actually did play for Charlotte. During right. the decade, but just to play devil's advocate here. Sorry, I did misspeak and it was sixth, but that's actually not that much better. So anyway, <laughs> uh, 24th, we have Jetty Osman. Uh, in a tie for 25th, we have Darius Garland, Dwayne Wade, and George Hill, who have all had pretty similar careers. Tied for 28th, we have Ramon Sessions and Carlos Boozer. And tied for 30th with one 10th place vote apiece, we have Luke Walton, Luol Dang, Luke Herringody, and Derek Rose. Oh, me, oh, my. Well, how did Darius Garland got a vote, but Kevin Porter Jr. did not? Luke Herringody got a vote, and Kevin Porter Jr. did not. Unacceptable. Kevin Porter, Kevin Porter Jr. is legit. I just, I want to know, like, I wish, maybe I should include, like, 
a spot on the ballot for I'm being serious versus I'm just totally trolling. Well, uh, then you're going to encourage trolls even more. We need to put I know, names I to know. This, this shit. Yeah, there there maybe it shouldn't be anonymous that. anymore. I guess like Heron Goaty did play 42 minutes or, or 42 games in Cleveland, but he also shot 37.6% from the field, 24.1% from three-point range. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it wasn't great. Maybe during... this is just a flex <laughs> of they know who he is. Yeah, is that that's, that's fair. That's that's a name that I have not thought about in, in quite some time. I wonder where Luke Herringoti is now. That's that's a separate pod, I think. We could go at least 60 to 75 minutes on that. He is playing for... Oh, man. I, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, he's, he's playing in Spain. <laughs> I know how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Joventut? 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 Sure. All right. We'll, t- we'll take your word for it there. I did not Google that. Um, that's the update you came here for. We're sorry we made you wait 45 minutes for it, but the reason you listen to the pod is now complete. Adam, thanks again. This was so much fun. We have the, I believe, the Dallas Mavericks are up next. That's correct. So, I need to set up the poll for that one. So please fill out your ballots. Those will be out at on NBA Math Twitter account, at NBA underscore math. Follow them. Until next time, Adam and I leave you with a shout-out to the apparently underrated, underappreciated, Kevin Porter Jr. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.